This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. There are some great April Fool's Day pranks going on out there. I will not be doing any pranks today, on this show at least, so this is a prank-free zone. And we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff today, including some more VR coming down the pike. There was a bunch of discussion we had last week on all of the new VR headsets coming. There's another one from a big company on the way. We'll explore that a little bit. There's a weird Asus hack going around, which we'll talk about in some detail. HD Home Run has dropped their premium TV service after some lawsuits impacted their upstream provider. We'll discuss that. And I also thought it would be nice for me to talk to you about uh, my relationship with the company because they are our longest sponsor here on the channel. And I thought it would be good for you all to uh, just understand uh, how I work with them. Uh, We're also going to look at Patreon changing their business model for only new creators. And we'll look at what that means. There are some uh, interesting little components to that new deal. Uh, We'll look at 2.5 gig versus 10 gig Ethernet. The Unify Lights versus the Unify Pro access points. I've been using those for a number of years now, and I'll give you an update as to how they're working. And then we'll talk about streaming VR in the wake of the Google Stadia discussion we had last week. Does it make sense? Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters on the channel, Tony Paget and Nils BP. Tony gave via Patreon, and Nils contributed via the YouTube membership program. I want to thank both of them for their support of the channel, along with everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis and everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now it's time for the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed a fanless NAS device that I thought you all might find of interest. I'm going to start playing with that a little bit later today to get a review started. Uh, It is designed for home theater environments. It even has an HDMI output, so we'll see what it can and can't do in a full review that I hope to get up later this week or sometime next week, so stay tuned for that. On the main channel, we had a live stream this week of the Analog Mega SG. It actually took me a while to get everything set up, and then, of course, we spent a good chunk of the day actually doing that live stream. So what you can do is find the Uh, full live stream and an edited version that I posted up Saturday night, uh, linked down below in the master playlist. And then we also looked at a fanless mini PC from a weird company called Codlix. Uh, They have a $230 Gemini Lake machine with eight gigabytes of RAM pre-installed along with two additional storage slots on it too. So it's kind of a nice little fanless device that also comes pretty well equipped for the price point, and you can check out that review also linked down below in the master playlist. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and the first item is something coming from Valve in regards to virtual reality, the Valve Index, which is their own headset. It looks like they might be moving away from their relationship with HTC, and they have posted what you see here, and that's all we know at the moment, But it looks like this headset is coming out as early as next month. So I am very excited about this because 
I do think Valve has done some tremendous stuff with virtual reality, especially with their HTC partnership. I've been uh, very impressed over the years, as you've heard me say over and over again, by how good the experience is on the Vive. And a lot of that experience uh, was from Valve's input and some of their uh, software. Their uh, game called The Lab is just a ton of fun. A lot of little mini games in VR that work exceptionally well. And it looks like they took a bit of a swipe at Oculus because one of the big criticisms of the new Oculus Rift S is that it doesn't have a manual pupil adjustment. It appears as though this headset does, and they have made it uh, kind of a front and center feature here in their uh, teaser photo. So we'll learn more about this over the next couple of weeks, but I think I'm definitely going to get one of these because I've been uh, very eager to have a more convenient VR solution versus the uh, huge HTC setup I have now. And this one might be it. We'll have to wait and see what it looks like. Now, this next story is both interesting and very scary at the same time. It looks like some hackers have infiltrated the Asus software update uh, so that the Asus servers are actually delivering or have delivered uh, malicious software to what appears to be hundreds of thousands of computers throughout the world. However, that malicious software only triggers itself on about 600 unique computers, and it figures out which ones it wants to target based on their MAC addresses. So for most people, there's no impact at all. The software just lies dormant. But for 600 or so, uh, it's going to go a bit further than that and install some malware that will uh, undoubtedly uh, leak that computer's information somewhere. And what's really frightening about this hack is that it is coming directly from Asus. Hopefully they have closed this issue by now, but nonetheless, it looks like this might be a state actor uh, that is looking to target a very specific group of computers that might have been sold to another government or some other agency or something like that. And uh, they're very uh, clear here as to who they're looking for by their MAC addresses. And this is just a fascinating story. You can read more about it on the link that you see on screen here from Motherboard. Uh, but this is one of the big vulnerabilities is that you could be as secure as possible with your computer. But if the manufacturer of your computer is compromised, then their updates can come right down and infect you and open up a lot of back doors that other people can walk right through. And this is terribly frightening. And I hope that Asus will have some kind of response to this to restore some faith among its customers. Now, another piece of news this week is that Silicon Dust, the makers of the HD Home Run, are canceling their premium TV service. If you are not familiar with this, it came out last August. And if you had one of the HD Home Run over-the-air tuners, uh, you would also be able to subscribe to a service to get cable channels delivered through that tuner as well over the Internet. And it was uh, something that I think people were very excited about because they had no DRM restrictions on the cable programming. It worked exactly like the HD Home Run Prime does, which works over your cable system in that uh, you could record content from the HD Home Run app. You could use Plex. You could use uh, pretty much anything that was compatible with an HD Home Run to bring content in, and you could have a lot of flexibility with it. Now, what's happened, though, is that the upstream provider that Silicon Dust was using for those cable channels got sued by the cable industry. Now, the cable industry alleges that Omniverse TV, who was the upstream provider for this premium TV service, was not authorized to allow others to make their own subscription services using the Omniverse feeds. And Omniverse was providing their feeds to a number of subscription services out there. And this lawsuit says, "Uh uh-uh, your license did not allow you to distribute content to anyone other than your own customers. 
and it looks like this is really the heart of the issue here. Omniverse thought they'd be able to work this out through a settlement agreement, but apparently uh, that's not going well if Silicon Dust is shutting down their entire service. Now, the tuners are still going to work just fine, but again, you won't get the uh, cable services delivered along with your over-the-air content. So if you are looking for a streaming service and you want to match that with your over-the-air antenna, you'll have to be jumping back and forth between two apps, although I think it'd be pretty cool if uh, maybe Silicon Dust could work out some agreement with another one of these streaming companies to allow you to integrate your existing subscriptions into their interface or to Plex or something. So we'll have to see if any of that happens. But at the moment, uh, it looks like those tuners are just going to be used for over-the-air content. Uh, As a result of this move, Uh, Amazon has put the HD Home Run app back on their uh, store because as this lawsuit was happening and there was a copyright infringement suit out there, Amazon pulled the app off of the Amazon App Store. It's now back, so you don't have to sideload anymore onto your Fire TVs and you'll be able to get access to the HD Home Run DVR uh, along with the -the over-the-air live streaming, but not the premium TV. Now, I thought this might be a good opportunity to talk about Uh, the sponsorship arrangement we've had with HD Home Run, because I think they're probably the longest running sponsor on the channel. And I wanted to give you some of the history as to how I got to know them, uh, what I know of the company, and some general thoughts here. So uh, if you look at my top videos of all time, uh, you will see that my video from September 22nd, 2013, is my top watched video ever made. It has a million and a half views uh, year after year. It's often in the top Uh, 10, if not the top five, and it's kind of a gateway to the channel. Now, what started everything was that I bought an HD Home Run Prime almost six years ago now because Comcast decided to encrypt all of the channels that I was paying for and require me to go out and rent a cable box from them for all of my televisions, and the cost was going to be probably around $20 or $30 a month, depending on Uh, what kinds of services I wanted delivered to those televisions. It was ridiculous, especially given that up until the day they decided to scramble everything, I could just plug a coax cable into the back of my TV and get a good chunk of my subscribed channels, including my local networks, in high definition. And waking up one day without it uh, was quite irritating. I even tweeted out to Comcast and said, hey, what gives? Why are you encrypting Limited Basic now? Uh, This goes back to August of 2013. And the guy from Comcast flat out lied and said that the federal regulations require them to do it now. Uh, That was total BS. They were given the opportunity to do that, provided they allow customers to also use their own equipment if they choose. And that is where the HD Home Run Prime kind of fit in, because you could get a cable card from Comcast, plug it into the Prime, and that would allow you to do whatever you really want to do on your network. Now, back then, it was Windows Media Center as the server. Uh, Silicon Dust really didn't have their own uh, software like they do now to manage everything. So it wasn't perfect, but it was better than what Comcast was providing, and it saved me a lot of money. And I wanted to make a video to kind of share this with the world because a a lot of other folks were dealing with this Comcast encryption uh, at the same time because this was a real money grab uh, by Comcast to do that. Uh, So, of course, the company got to know me a little bit through that video, and then they asked me, I think, for my first sponsorship with them to help out with their Kickstarter 
uh, when they launched their DVR project, which is something that I use to this day. In fact, every day uh, we are using that HD home run and the DVR. And I think it's a great product. I really do. My wife likes it. I love it. It's just been a great uh, solution for the house here. And then, of course, I can integrate the HD home run with Plex and other things as well. Uh, It's proven to be a really solid platform. So I had really no problem uh, having them on as a sponsor because it's a product that saved me a lot of money and something that I really like. Now, one thing I think people don't always realize is that this is not a huge company. Yes, they have a huge retail presence. They're at Best Buy, for example. Uh, They're adding new customers all the time, given the fact that cord cutting is such a big thing right now. But they don't have the engineering resources of a larger company that can have a whole bunch of different products in the pipeline. In fact, the co-founder of the company is still one of the lead hardware engineers on all of the products that they make. And he does an exceptional job. If you look at how long my HD Home Run Prime has been working there in the closet without a single issue, uh, despite being on 24-7 for almost six years, I think that's a real testament to the hardware design that goes into things. And this is not a statement from them, but it's my, my opinion as to why they have focused where they have focused, is that the cord cutting market is enormous. We saw uh, there are millions of people last week when we discussed this topic cutting off their cable subscriptions and looking for alternatives. Uh, That, of course, does involve an internet component, but a lot of people want to get as much as they can without paying a monthly fee. And that, of course, brings the -the over-the-air tuner into a significant portion of a cord-cutting strategy. And that's why they've spent a lot of time on software development. That's why they've refreshed all of their tuners. That's why they are coming out with some plug-and-play DVRs to accompany those tuners in the very near future. It's been a real focus for them because that is where the market is. Unfortunately, for people like me and you that are cord shavers, uh, we're not as big of a market. We're kind of a niche. And if you look at uh, Comcast technicians, for example, who've come into my house over the last couple of months and years, every time they're in here, none of them have ever seen one of those boxes before, which kind of leads you to think there's just not a lot of them out there. There's enough to build a business on for sure. Uh, but not enough to uh, look at a huge amount of consumer adoption, at least for that product. Uh, But clearly, there's a huge adoption rate on the -the over-the-air cord cutting, which is why I think they have put their focus in that. They took a big risk on premium TV with uh, devoting a lot of engineering time, at least for software, over to that versus looking at some of their other products. Unfortunately, that risk didn't pay out for them, but they uh, clearly had to do it to try to capture more of Uh, that over-the-air cord cutter market, and I thought Premium TV was a very nice accompaniment to that product line, and it's unfortunate it didn't pan out. I do hope that we'll hear some news on the six-tuner device. Uh, People ask me all the time, what am I hearing, what am I hearing? Well, they don't tell me anything until they're ready to announce it, Uh, with the exception, of course, of our uh, preview of the six-tuner box back at the uh, previous CES. So as soon as I hear something, I share it with you. Uh, And right now, there is no news on that six-tuner box, and I know a lot of you are waiting on it. And I think it's unfortunate they have no product in the pipeline right now to uh, serve the cord-shaving market, because I do think that is a potential area of growth and one that I hope that they pursue in the future. But I'll tell you this much, that I've gotten to know the CEO who we've interviewed before, Ted, and we've also uh, gotten to know uh, the engineer, Nick Kelsey, who's the co-founder of the company. And, And they really care about what they're doing, and that is why I'm comfortable Uh, having them on as a sponsor here, even though they might make mistakes here or there or have some risks not work out for them like we saw with Premium TV. 
uh, because they do care about their customers, they do care about the product line, and it's nice to have a company that is willing to put themselves out there like that without any BS PR in the way. You're going to talk to the head of the company, and he's going to tell you what's going on. Uh, and I think it's, it's a welcome change from some of the other uh, companies I interact here in the industry that are so cautious about everything, they're not willing to actually engage with the customer base uh, they regularly engage with customers in the forums. When you see Nick posting on there, that's the hardware engineer, the guy that is designing the hardware you're using. He's still in there uh, with the customers, taking in their feedback and uh, communicating and offering some suggestions when things don't go right. They've got some other staff now that have been more active uh, in those forums as well. So I think they are a good company and with good people who really want to do the right thing. And this was an example of something that didn't work out for them. And I hope uh, as the year progresses here, we'll see some progress on that six-tuner box and some of the other things that we've been looking for because there are a lot of longtime customers like myself that want to see that happen. And they're definitely getting that. And I think we'll see it at some point in the near future. So I just wanted to give you my input on the whole topic here because it's something I've been meaning to talk about for a while. I totally get and understand why those of you who are cord shavers sometimes feel as though you're not being appreciated by the company. Uh, after all, we were kind of the initial uh, success that they found developing these cable tuner products. And I totally get that, given that we've been waiting so long for that six tuner product to come out. And uh, now with no three tuner even available, if our product should break, we have very few options for uh, getting replacements at this point. I think that's a, probably a frustration shared within the company as well. I think they want to get that product out there and hopefully they'll have uh, that as a focus in the months ahead here. But at the end of the day, uh, I've gotten to know them quite well. I don't take sponsorships lightly here on the channel. I do believe that they are focused on the customer, which is what I always expect out of people who are going to sponsor things on this channel. And I think they'll have uh, continued success here moving forward, and hopefully one of those successes uh, will be a six-tuner box. And I just wanted to give you my perspective on this and uh, how I value the relationship, and I'd love to hear your thoughts down in the comments below. Now it's time for a couple of other things that are on my mind. This is week 109 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and this week we had a live stream of the Mega SG. Uh, what happened was is that I didn't get mine early like all the other reviewers did. So mine came in a couple of days after all the initial reviews hit. So I figured, you know what, I could spend the time to make a review, but it probably wouldn't get the viewership at this point given how many other reviews were already out there. Uh, so I decided to do a stream because we've been having uh, some success lately of the streams not dropping out uh, due to my crappy internet connection. It actually went the whole time right until I was about to finish, and that is when it dropped out this time. So I was kind of discouraged there was a dropout, but we did have uh, two hours of a pretty decent stream going. And these have been kind of fun for me because I've been wanting to do more live streaming where I can directly interact with viewers and have a subject around it. So this was kind of our first run at a real formatted way of doing this where we had Jake who was uh, monitoring the chat and feeding me questions as I was doing things. And I liked the fact that the stream wasn't broken up with me just kind of scrolling through the chat window trying to keep up with all of it and having somebody there to ask the questions back to me I thought uh, worked pretty well. So let me know what you thought uh, of the live stream and whether or not you like that format and whether or not you'd like to just see a short uh, kind of Mega SG review as well. I might do a follow-up on some of the button lag and, and things that I usually do, uh, which I might put up here or over on the Extras channel, and I might work on that a little bit uh, this week. So let me know if there's anything else you would like to see 
on the Mega SG. And again, give me some comments on how you thought the live stream went. Uh, what I also did with this live stream was that I took the, um, the actual stream and then edited things down to something a little bit more consumable. So we were able to take about a half hour uh, off the stream. We had a few little technical glitches that I was working through that I was able to take out of that edit. So let me know what you think down in the comments below. And it looks like Patreon is at it again, trying to change up their fee structure to something that works better for them, but not necessarily better for us creators. I'm going to put a video down below in the video description that talks about the last time they did this, which was not good at all. Uh, This one seems to be a little bit better, uh, but still not great. So what they have done now is created three tiers of services for creators. Uh, The first one is going to be the light tier, which will be at the current 5% fee rate uh, from Patreon, but it's not going to get you much. It's basically a uh, payment provider with a website that you can use to maybe send out some posts just to your uh, patrons, for example. Uh, They're taking a lot of the features that are currently on Patreon and rolling them into a new product called Pro. Uh, That's going to be a 5% fee for current Patreon users, uh, but anyone new is going to pay 8%. So that's a pretty significant uptick. So as long as you're on the platform currently, uh, it'll be at the same rate and you'll get Uh, pretty much the same features you had before, including membership tiers and analytics and everything else. And then they're going to add in a premium tier for 12%, which is a minimum of $300 a month, uh, which will give you a couple of other things like merch, a dedicated partner manager, and team accounts if you are a company and you want more than one person accessing your Patreon account. doesn't seem like they're giving you all that much for uh, quite a hefty amount taken out of your pocket there. But what really concerned me was the change to their payment fee structure for the actual credit card processing. So on top of that uh, 5 or 8 or 12%, uh, you also have to pay for the processing charges involved in having your patrons pay you. Uh, now, one of the things that Patreon wanted to do last time was have you, the, uh, the contributor, pay those fees. They're not going to do that here. But they made a pretty big change to their small donation amount. Uh, So they're going down to 5% plus $0.10 per successful pledge. And I wanted to show you what the old structure is that we're currently under and and kind of contemplate why they're really taking a huge reduction in that processing fee here. So right now, if you were to pay me a dollar, they charge a 2.9% fee to me for part of the processing. There's also a 30% transaction fee on top of that for a total of 33 cents. Uh, So that makes it a 33% overall fee percentage given that you have the 2.9% plus the 30 cents to get to what you see there. And then of course, Patreon would take their 5% fee on top of that and I would end up with 62 cents. Now the new structure is going to cost creators significantly less on small contributions. Let's play out that dollar contribution once more. So let's say you paid the buck. And then they'll take their 5% processing fee, their 10 cent transaction fee, and that'll bring you to a total processing fee of only 15 cents or 15%. And then of course, they'll have their Patreon fee on top of that of 5%. And under the new rules here, I would end up with 80 cents in my pocket versus 62. And that's a significant reduction, especially from a company that said they were completely unsustainable as they were currently configured. And it got me to thinking, you know, were they getting a better deal all along on payment processing and just pocketing uh, the difference there and just 
you know, basically telling us the retail costs of payment processing, because what they were listing as their processing fees for transactions is exactly what I pay uh, to Stripe as a very small user of that payment processing service. And I thought all along they must have been getting some kind of bulk deal uh, to get a better rate than the published rates that we typically see for small retailers like myself. And I don't know the answer to that, unfortunately, because I reached out to Patreon, asked them this question. They never got back to me, completely uh, silent from them. So we'll have to just guess as to what's going on. But what I did do is take a look at my own Patreon experience here, because I am still taking uh, Patreon contributions, although many of you have moved over to my donor box page. And as you can see here, uh, 72% of my contributors are contributing $3 or less. So they would be under that new payment processing charge uh, if uh, Patreon extended that processing fee to all of the creators on their platforms. That's a big chunk of who's contributing to me. And I was curious because I wanted to know how many of those are contributing to people, to more than one creator at a time. And it looks like about two thirds, almost 70%, of my Patreon contributors who are doing $3 or less are contributing to me and other people. And that's been one of the strengths of Patreon's current structure is that the way their processing fee works is that if you gave a dollar to five creators, Patreon would only charge you $5 once, not $1 five times. And as you can see here, if you do the math, it actually works out great for the creators because uh, they charge you a 2.9% uh, transaction uh, processing fee, and then a $0.30 cent transaction fee. But that transaction fee, as you saw in our initial slide here, uh, applied to that $1 contribution the same as it applies to the $5 contributions. So that percentage is diluted. So if you were to give me a dollar and then give four other creators a dollar, uh, the fee percentage that we're all paying together for your contribution is only 9% versus 33%. Uh, So you can see here the processing fee per creator is a lot less and the creators actually uh, pocket about what they would pocket under the new scheme here. And I think given what I'm seeing in my own experiences, uh, Patreon is looking at this like, well, on the average, most people contribute to more than one creator. So rather than trying to do the math out for each of these creators they're contributing to, we're just going to assume that the average is going to be X and you're all going to end up about the same. So Patreon might actually take a little bit of a hit on this but I'm guessing the processing time and the staff time that it takes to figure out all of this stuff uh, might actually be better for them in the end. And as a result, all of you who are getting $3 or less transactions will actually see a little bit more. And hopefully Patreon will allow current creators to uh, be able to take advantage of this new processing scale. It looks like at the moment they're going to keep everybody on the old system, but eventually move them over Uh, to the new processing fee, and it looks like it'll probably be a wash for most creators, and this is probably not as bad as it was looking like uh, when they tried to do their last big fee structure change. So this definitely does not look as bad as it did before. I will say, though, that it was disappointing for Patreon not to respond to me to offer the explanation that I just gave, because after doing my research, I can see how it might actually pan out. And it would have been nice to have had a company perspective on this, but they uh, don't clearly find it important to talk to me about it. So we'll have to see where it ends up in the end. I don't know how well this is going to do, though, insofar as saving the company from its uh, current situation. If you remember a few months ago, 
Uh, the founder, Jack Conti, said that they are not a sustainable business. And I suspect that a lot of people who sign up with Patreon are not going to go to those 9 and 12% tiers. They're going to stay on the 5% tier with just the basic payment processing functionality along with the little website that they can maybe run. I bet you that a lot of people who are using Patreon's more advanced features are using them because they are there. And if they're not there when they sign up, I think they'll likely stay at the 5% tier. But time will tell. We'll have to see how it plays out. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And we got a couple of networking questions in from viewers to start things off. Jiang Hun Sin here is asking, why are there no reasonably priced 2 gigabit per second networking gear? Uh, 1 gig is dirt cheap, he says, and 10 gigabits is filthy expensive and unnecessarily fast. And actually, when I was at CES, I saw a new router from TP-Link that does in fact have a 2.5 gigabit per second WAN port on board uh, to, of course, work with some of those faster internet connections out there like the 2 gigabit service from Comcast that I ordered but couldn't get. Uh, So there is definitely some movement there to have something in between, at least from some major manufacturers. And clearly they were looking at the cost of putting this router together and determined that one gig wasn't enough, 10 was too much, and two and a half maybe was just right, uh, given what the market is for internet connections out there. And also that Netgear switch that we featured in the video I did the other day also has a two and a half gig operating mode on it. And I suspect that we'll probably be seeing more and more of this start to make its way out. Uh, Action Tech, who makes some of those Mocha adapters we've looked at here on the channel, and in full disclosure, the Mocha Alliance, who is responsible for that technology, has sponsored videos on the channel too. Uh, They actually have a two and a half gig Mocha adapter out, uh, but it's only available to cable operators at the moment. So I think we'll start seeing more of this two and a half gig stuff probably before we see Uh, anything faster get down in price. But I do suspect that it may not be long before the 2.5 gig stuff uh, gets knocked out of contention because the 10 gig stuff comes down in price so significantly. So we'll see what happens, but I think we'll probably gradually work our way over to 10 gig, and a lot of that will be driven by how fast our ISPs provide service to us. And this next question comes in from Michael, who is curious about my long-term experiences with my Unify AC light access points and whether or not he thought I should go with the pro models. I got these about almost three years ago now. I did a video on them, which I'll put down below in the master playlist. And what I love about the Unify products is that they give you enterprise features for a consumer price. You get a really in-depth way of configuring this stuff to exactly the way you want it. You can adjust the transmission power. Everything you can think of, you can do on these devices. They've got a great uh, control panel for it. And when I bought mine, I made the decision to go with their AC light version. And they cost a little less than the Pro. And I've been perfectly fine with that decision. Uh, so the ones I got here have a max of 867 megabits per second on AC. And they can do about 300 megabits per second on 2.4 gigahertz wireless networks. They usually cost about $80 or so uh, for those devices. They are powered over Ethernet also. Uh, So the one I have in the ceiling here, all I had to do was just run an Ethernet cable out to it, and I power it in my equipment room over there. It's a very convenient way to get these things positioned where you need them to. Uh, They also come with PoE injectors in the box. Uh, The Pro version uh, is pretty much the same, but it costs more and is a bit faster. So the other one here is a 2x2 radio. 
Uh, the Pro version has a 3x3 radio, which means that you could get uh, conceivably up to 1.3 gigabits per second, at least on the wireless backbone, uh, but it only connects up with a single gigabit Ethernet connection to your switch. So just know you'll be uh, never hitting that 1.3 max with this particular product. So it is a little bit faster, both on the AC and the 2.4 gigahertz bands. Uh, but I think, though, for a majority of what you're going to do over Wi-Fi, unless you're pushing huge files all the time, uh, you won't regret spending less on the light version. And maybe if you have one room in the house where you know you're going to be doing a lot more heavy-duty data transfer over Wi-Fi, maybe put the Pro model in there. But I think for most consumers or most networking people in general, uh, the lights here should be sufficient for what you might do with them. And my overall experiences with these Unify products has been outstanding. I set them up once and I haven't had to think about it again. They just work. And that is what uh, you always want to see in something. Uh, what's cool about both versions of these is that they also support VLANs. Uh, so you can have a single access point uh, and be able to segment your network traffic over VLANs through the same device. It's really cool how it works. That's one thing I haven't set up yet, uh, but it is there and available. So you have a Really nice feature set for such an inexpensive device, and it's something that I can definitely recommend to all of you. And this last question comes in from Paper Clown Z, and he's referring to my discussion last week on Google Stadia. Uh, he thought that there might be a VR potential with Stadia, especially with a relatively lower-powered all-in-one VR device like the Oculus Quest. And I wanted to talk about that because I actually experienced a streaming VR solution last year at CES. This was something that Zeiss was experimenting with, which was a way of streaming over your local area network Steam VR to a smartphone running inside of one of their uh, little VR headset things. And you can see me uh, looking around a game of Doom with it. They actually were pretty far along on this product design. They had two controllers that would work uh, with Steam, so you could see your hands in the game and everything. But what was really not so great about it was that there was just a tiny little bit of latency that I could feel. And when you feel latency in VR and when things just aren't right, uh, that leads to motion sickness and just general discomfort. And I don't get motion sickness typically, but I was feeling uncomfortable with it because something just didn't feel right in my brain. Uh, and it really was something that I noticed almost immediately, that a uh, little bit of lag as I was turning my head that made things just not work for me. And uh, this product actually hasn't come out. Uh, they did come up with the headset, which has been around for a while, but this uh, streaming component to it uh, is not available. I think the device that they had in here when we were playing with it uh, was an iPhone that was actually directly connected to the PC. So it was actually streaming over a hardwired uh, connection, actually, and it just didn't work. And I would imagine that streaming something like VR over the internet is going to be a real hit or miss kind of experience. And even on a good connection, uh, the latency might just be enough that it's going to uh, get people yakking, perhaps. So I think they may have to experiment a little bit with that first, and I would not expect this to be a good VR experience. But who knows? Maybe they'll figure out some way to uh, reduce the latency to a point where it might be viable uh, that's one of the things that I think this current crop of VR, even the old headsets like the original Oculus and the Vive, uh, are really super fast in their response times to the point that they feel very natural. This did not. And now it's time for our pick of the week, and we're going to be taking a look at Crime Talk, 
with Scott Reich today. Uh, one of the things that I love about YouTube, as I mentioned last week, is that you can find uh, experts in particular areas that can really flesh out a lot of stories in the news. Last week, we were talking about pilots and their experiences with 737 aircraft. Uh, this week, it's crime uh, with a criminal defense attorney. And for those of you outside the U.S., you might find his talks very interesting to talk about how the U.S. justice system works in relation to criminal cases. Uh, I've just been fascinated listening to him about all of his insights as to how these cases you hear about in the news actually get processed and the things that defense attorneys need to think about. He's kind of an interesting guy. He's a former Marine. He's a pilot and flies his own airplane around Colorado for all the different cases that he's working on. And if you're looking for some insight as to what it's like to be a criminal defense attorney, pretty good show. Check it out. Uh, Crime Talk on YouTube. Now, this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things to take a look at. We have a Chromebook, another one from Lenovo that they let us borrow. This is a 14-inch Chromebook that starts at 180 bucks. It doesn't have a great display. It's only 720p, but there is a 1080p version available for not all that much more. It's got a uh, ARM processor built in, so be on the lookout for that. We shot that one already. I'm also hoping to get a review of the QNAP NAS device up for all of you. I'm going to be uh, working on that a little later today. I like how they say it's silent but powerful and not silent but deadly. Uh, So stay tuned. We'll have a little bit more on this one, kind of a unique uh, way to design a NAS device. And I still have that Dell monitor I want to get to. (laughs) I hope to uh, maybe get to that. Uh, One programming note is that I am going to be uh, heading out of town for the SpaceX launch, provided their test went well today. Uh, So if they still stick to their April 7th launch date, uh, we're going to be down in Florida uh, watching that launch, and you'll probably see my coverage of it in place of the weekly wrap-up next week. So if you want me to try to hunt down any specific information about the SpaceX Falcon Heavy, do let me know down in the comments below. We haven't covered a SpaceX launch in almost three years, so it's time to get back down to Florida, warm up a little bit, and watch some rockets take off and land. And that's going to be a really fun thing to witness in person. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution. Uh, this is my donor box page, but we are also still taking Patreon, as I mentioned at the outset. We have other channels that you can check me out on. We have my Extras channel that has supplementary content and unboxings. We have the podcast, which is an audio-only version of this show, along with some of the interviews that I do. We have my Snippets channel, which pulls out portions of this show into smaller, bite-sized, searchable chunks that you can check out on the Snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets. And then we have my live streams at lon.tv slash live streams, where I archive all of the things that I have done live and there is a lot of it there now, so you can check it out uh, linked on that URL right there. Now, if you like what I do, you can click the notification bell to get notified every time I upload or go live or do a premiere or anything else like that. Uh, we also have other ways to engage with the channel, including my email list, which I totally forgot to use to notify you about the Mega SG live stream. I need to do that next time. Uh, we also have my Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook. Uh, We do put a few videos up there each week as well. We have the Facebook group, which continues to grow and is becoming quite active. And it's been great to have over 600 of you in there communicating. So I want to thank you all for uh, contributing there because it actually helps guide my content. So please keep those discussions coming. I do monitor all of them. I don't always get a chance to engage in all of the conversations, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on things. So thank you all for that. 
And then we have my store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And you can get an alert every time I add something to the store at lon.tv slash store alert. As I mentioned over the last two weeks, my wife and I have been purging the house a bit. So I have some tag sale items up there, things that were not reviewed on the channel necessarily, but are things we're getting rid of. So check out the tag sale portion of the uh, store as well if you want to get some of my old stuff that you might find a use for. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank everyone for their continued support of the channel, your comments, your questions, your viewership, your Patreon contributions, your other contributions, everything you're doing has been contributing a lot to what we do here. And please do provide some feedback as to whether or not you want to see more live streams or more recorded reviews or both. Uh, Let me know whatever your answer is down below in the comment stream. And until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.